This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za. Yes, 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 it's Voice of Change with myself, Lauren Jacobs, and you are with me right now here on Radio Cape Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Welcome to the show. I hope that you've had a fantastic day. We are nearing the end of February, which is craziness because February goes so quickly. I know it's a short month, but January felt like it was super long. February has felt like it is super, super quick. And so I hope that you've had a good, good February. It's been a great one this side. And tonight's show is also going to be a great one because I'm joined by Rebecca Lindenbach. And she's going to be joining me to talk about something that is very, very fascinating and also very, very interesting and informative why I didn't rebel now Rebecca wrote a book actually called why I didn't rebel and it's actually such a fascinating book but today we're going to be getting into her story and we're going to be getting into some of the people that she worked with to bring her book about and she is actually the author of why I didn't rebel but also a book called the great sex rescue she's a psychology graduate a blogger dedicated to challenging the status quo that holds us back from experiencing the abundant life that Christ desires for us to have. And she and her husband are currently living the COVID dream, as she says, working together from home where they are taking care of their toddler son. And you know what? Rebecca is just filled with a lot of beautiful knowledge. And when we talk about why didn't rebel, we're really going to be getting in today to this perspective of, you know, what we can do to parent our kids so that they can be safeguarded to not want to rebel, turn their hearts away from Christ. But you really be built up to be strong children that become wonderful, wonderful adults that have all these tools to know how to deal with life, with the challenges of life, with the hardships of life, and also how to grow and overcome. There's going to be some challenges today. There's going to be some meat. There's a whole lot of tools, and it's just going to be a great show. So Rebecca's up with me after this. Rebecca, thank you so much for being with me on Voice of Change today. I know that we're going to have such a great conversation as well. So firstly, welcome to Voice of Change. I hope that you're doing well today. I am doing so well, and thank you so much for having me. This is actually my first radio interview with a South African radio Ooh. station. That's really, really cool. Really super honored yeah. about this. And I know that the listeners are going to get a, such a great, great time with us today because not only is the topic why I didn't rebel, you know, so important. Oh. And when we talk about parenting and especially when we talk about Christian parenting and authentic parenting, it is so, so important that we have so many really, really rich perspectives on this. And this is something that you've journeyed with for such a long time. Now, when we talk about rebellion and, you know, why I didn't rebel and what was happening, is there a definition, firstly, that we can start off when we think about rebellion and when we think about rebelling? What would really be the definition of rebellion, so to speak? Yeah, when we talk about teenage misbehavior and rebellion, we often get into this idea of it always looks like, you know, your stereotypical bad kid in an 80s high school movie, you <laughs> yes. know, where like they're the ones who are dressing different and doing drugs behind the school. Um, but I think that when we talk about rebellion in a Christian context, we have to be a little bit more nuanced mm. because 
we can label a lot of things as rebellion that really aren't. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to give parents and kids a little bit more freedom than we've been giving them, right? So you have a 13-year-old who's experiencing normal hormonal changes and PMS Mm -hmm. for the first time, and she's just moody and angry and slamming doors. Is that really a rebellious spirit or is that just puberty, Mm -hmm. right? We have to have a little bit of grace for our kids and understanding that rebellion doesn't just mean you do some small behaviors that the parents don't like right now. Um, In my mind, when I looked at all the stories of the 25 young adults that I interviewed when I was writing this book, something really just stood out where rebellion is really more about your life trajectory and where your heart is pointed Mm. versus what every individual action you do um, speaks of. Because you can make a mistake and not be a rebellious kid. Yeah. Right? You Mm. can be a kid who goes to a party and maybe you try alcohol for the first time and you're far too young and you come back and you feel so ashamed and you just talk to your parents and say, I don't want to do that again. And I'm so Mm. sorry. Is that really a rebellious kid? Mm. Right? Or is that just a kid who made a mistake? Mm. Because I think that we're given a lot of grace when we look at scripture um, where God says that he understands what our heart is. He sees our heart. Mm. And he, of course, we're not supposed to do the things that are mistakes. Of course we're not. The goal is yeah. to you know, be sanctified in Christ. But by telling our kids as young as 13, 14, 15, if you make one big mistake, you're going to be a bad kid. Hmm. I think that just puts so much pressure that's not necessary. And if we have a little bit more of a grace-filled understanding of what rebellion actually means, where it's about a heart that is not pointed towards Christ. It's Mm. about a heart that is working against what Christ wants for their life. Mm. If we have that as an idea, then we're able to more accurately understand when our kid is just making a mistake or maybe does something that they regret or is just being a hormonal teenager and just doesn't have the emotional coping skills quite yet to deal with that. Mm. It gives us the ability to look at our kids and not judge them immediately by one action, but it also because of that gives our kids the ability to come to us and know they're not going to be judged for one mistake. Hmm. And that's really what parents want, right? Hmm. Exactly. I think that that's so important what you just touched on, that ability to be able to go to your parents. And I personally don't know a lot of people that have had that experience where there's been that openness, you know, and that non-judgmental hmm. reality and that family structure when you go to your parent and say, you know, okay, this is what happened and maybe you know, this is what I did and it was a mistake and I I don't feel good about it. But sometimes that shame and that guilt keeps you locked up. And when there are unhealthy boundaries and rules and there's just this disconnect, sometimes you don't feel like you can go to your parent, right? And isn't that something that parents need to think about and really create an environment at home where it is non-judgmental, where it is safe to say, look, this is what I'm going through or I made a mistake. Yeah, that came up over and over and over again, because uh, when I was writing this book, listen, I, I knew no one wanted to read an entire book just about my experiences. <laughs> I'm, I might think I'm that interesting of a person, but I don't think most people are that interesting of people, right? No one wants yeah. to read a book about how one person <laughs> didn't rebel. So I did. I interviewed 25 others. Um, and put all of our stories together and looked into modern research. And this was actually something that came up again and again and again. The idea that kids need to feel, if, they, if they're going to be able to have open communication with parents, open communication needs to not be punished. And mm. open communication doesn't always look exactly how the parent would like it to look, right? Sometimes the open communication is 
man, all my best friends have gotten really into partying and drinking. And the parent is like, they're not your best friend anymore. You don't get Mm. to see them anymore. No more. Um, But then what happens? Your daughter or your son learns, I can't talk to my parents about the things that my friends are doing or else I'm not going to be allowed to see them again. Right? And there needs to be nuance. Sometimes the answer is that you have to draw boundaries with kids, of course. Mm. But we also need to understand that if you want to create an environment where kids are going to feel safe coming to you with their questions, with their concerns, with the tricky gray area stuff that happens in the teenage years. Um, It can't all rise up to a DEFCON 1 situation every single time that they bring something uncomfortable up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love that. And again, it's some, a challenge, isn't it? Even to people who oh, are listening, yeah. probably, you know, to be challenged and to think now, what have I done with my kids? Now, maybe I didn't parent my kids like that, but now I have grandkids. Am I able to even create <laughs> that environment for my grandchildren? You know, maybe learning from oh, mistakes yeah. that we created, you know, when we were parenting our own kids and didn't create those safe spaces. It almost feels sometimes when we talk about boundaries that there can be too few boundaries and then that mm-hmm. leads to problems. And then other times there can be this over, over, over boundaries where boundaries are not explained. And especially it comes in yep. terms of like when we talk about sexual relationships, a lot of parents are just afraid that their children are going to, you know, go out and have sex, go to parties, that kind of thing. And they have these mm-hmm. intense boundaries, but they don't explain to their children why there is this concern about sexual relationships when they're too young or, you know, when they're unmarried or when there's all these realities. So how do we draw balance mm-hmm. with that? What What is the challenge to parents when it comes to boundaries that are not, you know, wishy-washy and just, you know, not really good, but then those over-protective boundaries where a child sometimes feels so caged in that they don't know what to do. They don't understand why these boundaries are there. What is the challenge with this? How do we draw balance? Yeah, I want to tell, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll use a quick little illustration from the book. I talked to a boy that I call Nathan in the book who had mm-hmm. exactly this problem with his parents. So he and his mom butted heads on everything because he felt he was like 16, 17 uh, at the point that he was telling me his story from. We interviewed and he was a lot older and had some insight. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the point we were talking about, he was 16, 17. And his mom were constantly fighting because he just felt so controlled all of the time. Mm-hmm. He felt like she just didn't understand him. Uh, you know, he was he'd go home, they'd have screaming matches because she'd say, you're not allowed to see this person. You're not allowed to go here. You have to clean your room first. And if he didn't clean his room, then there were huge punishments that were Mm. far outside of the realm of normal discipline for cleaning your room, like missing an entire weekend away with friends that he'd been saving up for and waiting for for a year. Mm. Um, And this kind of, this is kind of the strict boundaries that we're talking about where he was, for instance, allowed to bike downtown to go buy himself pizza alone at night, but he wasn't allowed to watch like certain TV shows that were for children because Mm. of uh, concerns about demonic elements. Um, And so he was thinking, my parents are just kind of crazy, right? Mm. That's what he he got from this. He didn't understand Mm. why they were saying you're not allowed to do these things because they never told him. It was all about maintaining control to make sure your kids didn't make a mistake, right? Mm. These were good people. These were wonderful people who were just really scared that their son, who was a bit feisty and stubborn, was going to make a mistake he'd regret. So there were all these rules about when he was dating, all these rules about school, all these rules about parties, and he just felt so suffocated. Mm. And so, of course, he goes and completely just goes against all their rules. Cause at one point he realizes I'm 17 years old. What are they going to do? 
Mm. Right. And, and a lot of kids have that realization. I'm 17 years old. What are they going to do? And the answer is parents can't really do much. Mm. And that's kind of an uncomfortable truth. When it mm. comes to rules and boundaries, when your kid gets old enough, there's not really much you can do. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and so exactly. that's why when I talked to these kids, it wasn't surprising that I found that for most people who didn't rebel, their families were not marked by rules. They were marked by reasons and conversations. Mm. So it's not that you're not allowed to have sex when you're 15. It's that I'm concerned that if you decide to start having sex when you're 15, this is what will happen. Mm -hmm. And you're able to have nuanced conversations that have a back and forth, right? But my friends are doing this and they seem totally fine. Okay, well, I had a lot of friends who did that when they were your age too. And, you know, 10 years later, some of them were fine. But some of them weren't. And a lot of the ones that were fine still had a lot of heartache. They could have, you know, they could have avoided. And furthermore, you can get a conversation about God's design for sex and marriage. Hmm. You know, but it allows you to have those conversations. So it's not simply, ugh, my mom is so mean. She says I have to be home by 1030. No, your mom just wants to make sure you have time to get up for the test in the morning. Hmm. Right? So you can have those more nuanced conversations if the focus in your parenting structure is to have reasons for why your kid has to do or has to not do certain things Hmm. because it gives your kid a chance to talk to you about it and also it gives you a chance to listen to your kid and maybe even change your mind on some things Hmm. and And that can be really empowering sorry you know what Rebecca I was thinking while you were talking I was thinking this is this is a beautiful beautiful way to parent and it also probably rub some people up the wrong way, doesn't it? Because a lot yeah. of times people think, well, you're the child, I'm the parent, I don't have to explain myself to you. Yeah, and I think that's the thinking that is focused on the idea of obedience and getting the right behavior. Hmm. But what's the actual goal of parenting? Because we talk about obedience a lot, but when you have a 27-year-old, are they a good adult because they know how to obey? Hmm. Or are they a good adult because they have a good moral code for what they do and do not do? Hmm. Good people don't simply obey. Good people know why they act the way they act. And simply teaching a kid to obey your authority and I'm the parent so you must do this might work really well when they're 12. You might have a great 12-year-old. But are we actually training the moral development that is required for making complicated and complex ethical decisions at 27, at 32? Mm. Are we actually equipping our children to deal with uh, um, ethical nuance for the first time when they're 18? When your emphasis is all on obedience and all on the power dynamic of the parent-child, how does that actually train a child to then learn how to show their own way in life, how to reason through what is the best thing here. I've never dealt with this situation before. If all they have in their arsenal is I obey my parents or I obey the authority in charge, what happens if the authority is wrong? Hmm. Have we actually equipped our children? And obviously this changes throughout their life, their life span. I have a 15 month old son right now, mm-hmm. you know, for the next couple of years, it's mainly going to be obedience focused, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of ethical conversations to have with toddlers. (laughs) Yes. Okay, there's not. But even when they're that young, you can say things like, we don't hit mummy because when you hit mummy, it hurts mummy. Even just something as small as that versus just saying, don't hit mummy or you're a bad boy. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you see even just a small difference in that? And it just changes as the kid grows up. It's not that we don't give our kids boundaries. It's not that you don't tell your kids what is expected of them and what is not expected of them. Mm -hmm. It's not that you don't have these rules. It's that they feel totally different when the focus of having these boundaries is to help train your child to become a good, kind, faithful, loving person who lives out the fruit of the Spirit versus someone who simply performs the proper behaviors from the outside, but you don't really know if their heart actually understands why they are doing it. Hmm. And that is so important because it also makes me think about when you talk about power realities, especially in parent-child relationships, but also as we grow up. I know that I met somebody, you know, who is now an adult, but when they were young, they were sexually abused. And the person that abused them would say that, you know, your child and Jesus doesn't like it when children gossip. You know, so it was yeah. kind of like putting putting this boundary up and saying, if you gossip, you know, Jesus doesn't like you. So it was all about obedience. Now, obviously, this is a bit of a darker perspective I've just gone into, but it connects to it because if we talk to our children and we explain things and we help them, they won't just, like you said, be obedient to whoever is older or who is in authority over them. You know, it, it will help them be able to have a greater way of thinking because when we teach just that power and that control and that obedience you can often be in situations where you can actually get harmed because you're actually just being obedient to someone who is in power authority you know who is maybe not having a good intention towards you but because your parents have taught you just be obedient you know there's just 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 be obedient to someone that's older whoever's in authority, that's going to lead to some serious problems when they get older. And the way that you're sharing with us today is really teaching us that it's really insight into behavior that we're trying to teach as well as actually developed in our children when they're young, emotional intelligence, mental intelligence, the ability to handle complex situations, make your own decisions when you get older, you know, grow into all these things. And it's kind of creating a way and a lifestyle that is really, really speaking to evolving and insight into your own behavior and belief within yourself that you can make big decisions. It's not just blind obedience, right? Yeah, it gives your kids so much confidence when you talk to kids about why you want certain things to happen, right? Or you even give them the ability to make the rules themselves sometimes, right? I told Mm. a story of one girl I call Rachel, who's uh, never actually had a curfew because her parents would just ask her, what time do you think you should be home tonight? And it bothered her so much because she said, Mm. it would be so much easier if you just gave me a bedtime (laughs) Um, because she was like, oh, I have to make the right decision now. And then her parents might have this date, like, okay, I I want her to say something by 11 o'clock. And then, you know, Rachel would think, okay, well, if I have a test in the morning, I'm going to need some time to just review my notes before I go to class. And I have to catch the bus by this time. So that means, yeah, I should probably be home by 10, 1030, shouldn't I? And the parents <laughs> like, oh, we would have let you home by home by 11. She's like, oh, drat. Um, <laughs> but I think that even having those conversations where you allow your kids to have a little bit of a say um, mm. gives them, it's, it's like working a muscle, right? Decision making and healthy decision making needs needs practice. And that's exactly what you were talking about is it gives kids the ability to know I can make a good decision. So when someone comes to them and tells them, you don't know as much as I do, you're not as wise as I am. I I have the authority here and they're a malicious person. You know, it can be a really protective factor 
as well, because you give them confidence, you give them wisdom, and you give them discernment. Hmm. You know, my dad used to do that to me so, so much. I used to hate it. When I was when I was younger, he would be like, what time do you think that you should come home? And I always felt like I was being tricked. <laughs> it was always like, I know <laughs> that my dad wants me to say, you know, like I need to be home at a certain time because he would explain to me and say, we want you to be home at a certain time because if you're not, then we go to bed and we worry about you. So if you yeah. come home at a certain time, you know, then you're helping mom and myself have a good night sleep so what time do you think you should come home and I would be like oh, this is trickery I used to hate it I used to be like this is trickery just I also had that experience you know that Rachel had it's kind of like just tell me the time that you want me to be here because then we also do that it's kind of like I'll be home at nine but they were thinking 12 and you're like oh darn I'm gonna miss three hours but it was so important because it was kind of like it did feel a little bit like trickery to me but yeah. it kind of he he explained to me like we're gonna lie awake at night and we're gonna worry like how are you are you okay you know what's gonna happen or are, are those parents really gonna come pick you up that said that they are of the friend that you're out with and all of those kind of things you know so then you begin to understand hey my parents actually care about me you know they don't want to lie in bed you know worrying like am i going to be okay then you start to have compassion actually for your parents which is a, was a weird thing and you're like wow i have compassion for them because they actually really do love me and i realize they're doing this for my good and you know what, rebecca i think we're going to continue this conversation because it's so cool when we get back we're just going to take a really really quick music break we don't want you the listeners to go anywhere enjoy this and rebecca is still with me after this you're with me lauren jacobs here on voice of change today and Rebecca and I are talking about her incredible book, but also her life experience about why I didn't rebel and, you know, parenting and what we should be doing as parents. And we're hoping that you're going to be taking away some very, very important challenges and, you know, things that you can really put in place in your parenting reality. Or maybe you're a grandparent, maybe you're a helping parent, you know, your siblings, children, whomever it may be. We're going to give you some and lots of good, good tips today. Rebecca, you know, one of the things I didn't ask you about was a little bit about your story. You know, and I would love to hear about your story because, like you said, a lot of the book was written about your own experience, which is really amazing because obviously we can speak from our own truths and our own story. And so I'd love to hear a bit about your story. Like, what led you to have, as you have also described yourself, to be strong willed and to be, you know, opinionated or have. I don't like that word opinionated, but I would say it's like strong opinions, which in my yeah. opinion is a really good thing. <laughs> and uh, how, you know, sometimes we navigate through that. And then we're also the obedient to our parents. We don't rebel in the things that we have been taught. So tell us a bit about your story. Yeah, I have always been someone who is not the naturally submissive and meek type. Uh, and so when you read a book like Why I Didn't Rebel, for some people, it makes sense. Like, okay, well, it's just kind of your personality. Of course, you're never going to rebel. That would just go against everything that you are, right? We all know some of those kids um, mm. who it's just, you know, they're just the angels to babysit, right? Um, <laughs> yes. But I was not that. I was not that at all. I've always been very, very, I I'm just a bit contrarian, you know? I do. Mm. I am very opinionated and I I'm okay with that. So uh, I, I say it pretty openly. But the big thing that I had growing up all the time is I have never, ever, ever been willing to 
follow someone or some rule set that I thought didn't make sense or was unwise. Mm -hmm. I just haven't. And that's part of who I am. And so when you hit the teenage years and you start realizing that people in the church aren't acting the way that you think they should, you start to speak up. Hmm. And that was really what happened for me is I was a really good kid. My parents have always been some of my best friends. And I don't say that lightly. Hmm. Um, We've always been incredibly close. We are a homeschooling family because my dad was a doctor and my mom was a speaker. And so otherwise, we never would have spent any time together. Um, And but when I hit 15, I started getting really disillusioned with how a lot of the church was being managed where I was growing up. I was noticing that there was stuff happening at youth group I wasn't okay with. I learned a lot of swear words because of the um, music videos that were being played at my church's youth group. Um, And I I went in once and I saw a bunch of girls dancing on pool tables. And we'll just say it didn't look like the basement of a church. Yeah. um, What was happening. And I just, the next week I called up my youth leader. I was only 50, I was barely 15 years old. I was shaking, had the little phone in my hand. And I called my 40 something year old youth leader and told him what is happening is really not okay. And I'm worried about my friends because a lot of them don't really know who Jesus is, but they're not safe here. Hmm. If this is what is happening, because we should not be going to youth group where 14 year old girls are sexualized. Yeah. Um, That's just not safe. And frankly, he kind of reamed me out on the phone and that started a two year process of going to every single member on the elders board and the pastors and being systematically harassed and bullied by this leader. And he got all the youth group to kind of just call me nothing but traitor for mm-hmm. years at church. I was like, Oh, Hey traitor. Hey traitor. Um, hmm. And that was, that was my reality for a lot of high school. And still I never actually rebelled against God. Mm-hmm. I never lost my faith and I didn't rebel against my family either. And a really big reason for that, even though the whole church saw me as rebellious because I was making waves, you know, I was stirring the pot, I was speaking yeah. up. And it wasn't until after another incident happened that caused that leader to actually just decide this is not a good fit for me anymore and leave the church um, that they all actually told me, uh, yeah, actually, that wasn't great. Um, (laughs) I did, I did eventually get kind of an apology, um, for how I was treated when I was so young, Mm. but that was a big part of my kind of coming of age was having to go against all of the religious authority in my life Mm. because I was scared that the people who were, you know, calling me names and bullying me were going to be hurt by the church. And that was, that was refining by fire. I will tell you that. But a lot of my friends who are in the same group didn't feel the ability to speak up because they were too afraid to go against the status quo. Mm. And I think that was why I got so interested in what rebellion really meant. Because for two years at that church, I was labeled the rebellious kid. Mm. Um, and for years in the next youth group that I went to as well, like I just I've never been one to be able to sit down when there's injustice happening yeah. ever. Yeah. And so anytime you stand up against injustice, you're labeled as a troublemaker. You're labeled as making waves. Mm -hmm. And my question as I was wrestling through those years was how many people have been labeled bad kids or how many people have been labeled simply troublemakers? Oh, oh, just don't listen to them. They're just, yeah, they're just, they're just making problems when really they're just trying to help people understand that this is not of Christ, Mm -hmm. right? The people who stand up for people who are being abused, for people who are being, you know, unduly 
um, yeah, sexualized or bullied or harassed yeah. in you know, the church. Mm-hmm. How many times does our parenting advice and how we talk to parents about kids actually encourage them to tell kids to be quiet more than it does equip them to help their children learn how to find their God-given voice? And that really is my heart throughout the book is how do we raise kids who don't just stick to the status quo, who don't simply look nice on the outside, who don't simply follow all of the right prescribed behavioral sets. How do we actually raise the next generation of youth who are true warriors for righteousness, Hmm. you know, who are able to stand up, who are able to speak out and who do so in a way that isn't overly antagonistic necessarily, um, but who do it with wisdom and discernment, because that is a really tricky thing to teach your kids to do. Mm. And when you look at the current parenting advice, there's nothing there for that. Um, And that's just what stood out to me when I was looking back on my story is where's little Rebecca in the current parenting advice? Well, little Rebecca is told to be quiet. Mm. Uh, And that's what I want to help change. You know, this is, it's something that speaks volumes even now in our current generation with everything that we see happening, be it whether it's in the political arena, whether it be speaking up, a passion on my heart is obviously been for so many years, speaking up against, you know, abuse against women that's happening in the church, that's happening theologically, that's happening that people just aren't trained to deal with this. So it's kind of like, Oftentimes, it's exactly what you're saying. When you're young, you are learn. You learn to be quiet. Some children learn that they their voice is taken from them. Exactly that you just said. Mm-hmm. We have a God given voice, and I truly do believe that there are a lot of people that God gives an even louder voice to, because they're supposed to use that voice for something specific. But yet we we teach kids when they're very young that you know kids should be seen and not heard. And that was like a uh-huh. saying that I heard a lot of, you know, growing up. Maybe it wasn't <laughs> said directly to me. I don't know. But I remember that, you know, remember seeing it and hearing it. And people would say that, you know, that's just a kid. You know, that kid must just be quiet and that kind of thing. But we are given a God-given voice. And that is exactly that, to speak up against injustices and to speak up powerfully, you know, against unrighteousness and to be changes that we want to see in the world. And so I think that this kind of parenting as well, parenting skills needs to be taught. It needs to be taught to all parents, especially Christian parents, that it's not just about blind submission and just be really, really quiet. It's really about learning and growing and finding your voice and understanding life. And don't, And I think I was thinking, you know, this happens as well when we feel the sense of belonging, when we feel that we yeah. belong in our families, when we feel, you know, maybe like what you said, maybe you didn't feel belonging in your church. I'm not really sure. Because not was, at all. Yeah, not well, that's what all. I was thinking. <laughs> so even though that was happening to you, you say that you didn't lose your faith. A lot of people go through that and they lose their faith, you know, and they lose that connection with God. But obviously you had your parents as well. And did that really help you through everything that you were going through? Were your parents like really there for you in that area? And like you said, it was two years of walking through that. Did you feel like you had all that support at home and that was why you could still stand strong? Yeah, and there's there's a different there's a couple different reasons for that. First of all, which is interesting, is when I originally wanted to call my youth leader, my dad didn't agree with me, but he supported me. 
Mm. He didn't think I should call. My dad is my dad is a much much slower to act. He's more of the measure three times, cut once. Mm. And uh, my mom and I are more uh, eyeball it once and then cut and then maybe have to cut again. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> just different personalities, right? Mm. But my dad sat on the bed right beside me while I called my youth leader, which I knew he would rather I didn't quite yet. Mm. Um, but he still supported me in that. And then once he saw how I was treated and he heard the response, he flipped onto my side very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is I was raised understanding that faith is actually not clear. Mm, you know, we're yes. told this all the time. Oh, the Bible is clear. This. Oh, well, yes. we all understand this. Everyone knows this. If you're a Christian, you must believe this. And I was never raised with that. My dad would always tell me uh, as we were debating theological things over dinner, because we were that kind of family. Mm. Um, he would always say things like people have been debating this for 2000 and 2000 years, if not more. How do we think we've got everything right? Mm. Um, yeah. And I think as well doing like hearing that kind of mentality, as well as watching, quite frankly, my, my parents own struggles with injustice in the church and their own um, experiences of being marginalized and bullied by leadership in a previous church we were at. They were so open and honest about the reality of living in a community of believers, but also their hope being in Jesus, not in the church as an institution, hmm. that although this was really hard for me, it was really hard. And, and that's only a small portion of what I went through in those two years yeah. um, with the church. Uh, my faith in Jesus was never shaken because my faith in the church was never the same as my faith in Jesus. Hmm. And so although I lost something, I didn't lose Christ. And that is something I think parents, I hope can be an encouragement to parents is we're so often told to kind of keep the messy stuff of faith away from our kids. And we're so often told to like, you know, make sure that kids think church is great and make sure kids are really excited for church and everything yeah. is always good. And you can never say anything bad about the church and don't gossip about the church. And don't you understand you're ruining the reputation of the church? And no, frankly, knowing how the sausage got made, you know, that kind of yeah. idea, knowing the kinds of things that my parents went through when I was eight, when I was nine, when I was 10, within reason, of course, yeah. but knowing their struggles with the faith, knowing how they had been mistreated. Then when it came to be my turn, I was ready and it wasn't a world shattering, earth shattering um, idea that maybe not all Christians are going to treat you well, because I knew that already. Because my faith wasn't in my pastor. My faith was in my savior. Hmm. And that's the difference. Wow. And I think that that's a powerful thought that we're going to leave everybody with today. I think it's also about exactly what you were just saying is to, as a parent, also tell your children and sometimes allow them to see the hard things that you go through. And that requires a yeah. tiny little bit of vulnerability that sometimes parents struggle with. <laughs> And like you said, within reason, obviously, you're not going to go and confide yes. everything in them, all the details. But, you know, they also have to see a struggle. They have to see our struggles that we go through. It's not just picture perfect. And if we paint that picture, we are not actually equipping our kids to deal with life at all. And so, Rebecca, I want to say thank you so much for so much of this insight that you have given us today. 
we probably could go on for so much longer because I feel like there is so, so much that we can talk about. But I'm also going to just share with you, the listener, how you can get Rebecca's book if you are now feeling super excited and kind of like you have a little bit of a fire lit in you now. I'm going to tell you at the end of the show, you don't want to go anywhere, how to get Rebecca's book out here in South Africa. And you know what? You could pick it up and read it. And so stay tuned for that. So Rebecca, thank you so much for being with me on Voice of Change. I hope that this has been a great interview for you and it's been such a blessing for me and I'm sure for many and so my prayer is that God will just continue to bless you and your family you know everybody in your family may they just you know be super super blessed and thank you so much for being a voice in this generation and for teaching people how to really parent and what to think about when we do have our own kids so thank you so so much Rebecca I really appreciate it thank you so much Lauren I love what Rebecca shared at the beginning when she was talking about, you know, when a child does something or when a teenager does something, do we just automatically say, well, they've been naughty or they've been rebellious? Or is that just a normal growth reality? That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have conversations about things that our children are doing or trying. We should have these conversations because we need to safeguard them against, you know, things like drugs, for example. But we also need to foster this within relationship, within vulnerability within openness within belonging and conversation and I think that you know there's so much we always say that parents struggle with there's no manual for parenthood yes there's a lot of books about parenthood today and maybe you know sometimes you've read some and they've had conflicting reports or conflicting how-tos or conflicting realities and so that in itself can become very very confusing to think well this book said this and that one said this and what do I really do you know it's important for us to bring the Holy Spirit to bring God his word everything that he is into everything that we do and that's what we really really need to be focused on I also though love the reality of you know Rebecca sharing with us that we really need to foster foster this belief that children can have within themselves so that eventually they can start leading their own decisions, making their own decisions, have insight to their own behavior, have insight to their way that their mind thinks, their thoughts are. But most importantly, I think that I want to just encourage parents today to be safe places for your children and even if you're a grandparent you're no longer parenting your own children you can recognize mistakes you made in them now you're kind of trying to be the best grandparent for your grandchildren or maybe you're actually parenting your grandchildren because your children live far away whatever it may be in whatever situation it's not about being a walkover or about being easy it's about fostering a reality where you set those firm rules and in that the child your grandchild knows that they can come and speak to you and say hey I messed up here or this is what happened to me here I truly do believe that that was something that for people my age the Millennials the millennial young people we didn't really have that growing up our parents grew up differently and so their tools they used with us and we sometimes just wanted to talk we wanted to have an open non-judgmental space where we could be ourselves and so today let's create that for our children and for our grandchildren it's been such a great show Rebecca has given us so much to think about and again you can get her book why I didn't rebel by Rebecca Lindenbach on take a lot or one of those online places 
or you can even go into a bookshop and find it there so you know what if you really want to know more go and grab the book and i hope that you've enjoyed voice of change see you next week this insert was brought to you by radio k pulpit on 729 am visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za